This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, Mick read Overture by Sky Warren, and I read You Have Been Judged, a space opera adventure legal thriller by Craig Martell. Welcome to Bibliovile, the Terrible Book Exchange Podcast. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And we are here once again to bring you the worst that, well, in this case, Amazon has to offer because still the library is closed. So uh, we managed to snag two books off of that exclusive Kindle library. And what a what a two they are. We are really finding our way into the dregs of literature here. Like, you know the concept of made-for-TV movies? I think the equivalent of that is straight-to-free Kindle books. Like, oh, yeah. Straight-to-DVD, straight-to-Kindle. didn't even try to get published. Well, that's not true. They probably did, but didn't for reasons that we'll see here upcoming, uh, I'm sure. Yeah, lots and lots of reasons. But if I sound a little bit harried or hectic or anything like that, it is because I have just spent the last four hours of my life uh, failing at something. Uh, I have spent it trying to do the first homebrew beer that I've ever done. Uh, and although it went okay... It's probably not going to stay okay as it ferments over the course of two months. But isn't that sort of the point of your first oh, batch oh. of homebrew? Like, it's not supposed to be good the I, first time yeah. you do it. I'd be worried. So, they're, like, I, in the kitchen, you know, I like to I like to just freeform. I'm jazz, baby. I was very worried about this when you started homebrewing because if there's one thing you do not like in the kitchen, it is a recipe. Yeah, and it's very important to follow the recipe in baking, which is why I don't do it. And what else includes yeast? That's right, beer. So uh, I've tried to follow the recipe as well as I could. Luckily, I am smart enough to read all the way through the directions because the first one I pulled out to do uh, needed a fridge big enough to hold a five-gallon bucket, which we don't have. And so, Who if, does, though? Like, that is a gigantic freaking fridge. That's not a gigantic. It's just a regular fridge just without other stuff in it. Yeah, but who doesn't have other stuff in their fridge? People with two fridges, I guess. Um, so luckily, I didn't have to do that one uh, or else I would have had just a ready-made beer and nowhere to put it. Uh Unluckily, you're supposed to like smack a yeast thing to get it going and get it all eating the sugar and whatnot and over the course of three hours. And I smacked it, but not hard enough. So I just had to pour unactivated, hungry, hungry infant yeast into my beers. So we'll see how that goes. I'm calling it uh, the, I'm a huge nerd. And the main thing I'm excited about making beer uh, is not the drinking of it, which is going to be terrible. I'm sure. Uh, but the naming of it. So I'm going to call this one the Articles of Confederation Ale uh, because it's my first try and I learned more about what not to do than anything else. Yeah. But at least it'll get you drunk, I'm sure. <laughs> Finn has been asleep for 30 minutes. Yes. Dead ass snoring. So tired. So we thought to ourselves, what would be, this is probably the best time to do this if he's already sleepy. Well, no, now that we're doing things together, it's it's ball play time. So sorry if he gets in the noise <laughs> in the way. But anyway, that's not why we're here. We're not here to peruse my failures. We're here to peruse other people's fa- failures, namely Sky Warren's. 
So this book, I did what I tend to do when we're finding things on Kindle, and I sorted price low to high. No, that was how I found the last one. That is how I, I found, found yours. This one because it was recommended to me on my Kindle advertisements, which are absolute trash. Yes. Thanks, Bibliovile. We've post I've posted several pictures to the Bibliovile Twitter account about the uh, recommendations we are now getting on Amazon and on our Kindles. And it's broken us and broken our cookies, which, frankly, we should be proud of because now big data doesn't know what to make of us. Yeah. It's like, should you buy a D&D book or 51 Shades of Grey? <laughs> which I'll get to. Okay. So, Overture by Sky Warren. Uh, I don't remember exactly what was on the little blurb on the Kindle advertisement, but I remember being like, oh, that sounds gross, and then sending it to you. It was. It was gross. <laughs> Mick had some absolutely incredible facial expressions while reading this. He also had to stop and just stare off into the distance about every 30 seconds, which was a little distracting because I was trying to finish a good book for book club this month. We are reading Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Um, and so I was like, uh, at- I think you mean Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the book, <laughs> the book of Frankenstein. Um, and I was like at the climax of the story and Mick kept being like, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but this book is so bad. That's incorrect. I didn't apologize. <laughs> um, so, so tell me why it was so bad. I called it 51 Shades of Grey before. I should have called it 17 Shades of Grey because this book is about a fucked up guy. This is very Midnight Sinsian. Of course it this is. This entire yeah. book is very Midnight. At least I will give it this. It's technically readable in Midnight Sinsian. <laughs> um, and so it's about this fucked up guy who is in the Navy... I assume supposed to be the seals or something because it talks about him being like in the desert. And oftentimes the Navy's not in the desert. Uh, they're usually on the opposite. Yeah. Water. Uh, and so this guy adopted a 12-year-old girl. So Liam is the guy. Adopted a 12-year-old girl, Samantha. And as our book opens, she's like three or four months out. I don't know how many months out because uh, as I'll get to, the timing of this book just doesn't make any sense. Wow, it really is like midnight sense. Yeah. Um, so as this opens, she is three or four months out from turning 18. She is a violin prodigy and will be going on a world tour and leaving now that she's 18. She will no longer be his ward, his legal ward. He will no longer be her guardian. Okay, but if he adopted her, that's not how it works. I adopted might not be the word oh, okay. they used or whatever, but that's the easiest way to uh, okay. describe it. So she is 17 and has been living in this guy's house for the last five years as, for better or worse, his daughter. Yeah. They want to fuck bad, the two of them. That's so gross. And so he, if he was, I think it says 26 when she was 12... So 14, 14 years. So, so at 18, he's like 32 or something. Yeah, It's fucking gross, bud. It's really bad and it's really gross. And even beyond like the age difference, it, there's like, you're her dad for more or less. Like, you're, stop it. Yeah, that's icky. Why did he adopt her if he did not want to like actually act like a father? Well, or the, just even barring that, why did he adopt her or 
bring her in or whatever terminology they use. The big midnight Sinzian dilemma over everything is that her dad was an ambassador, but he was like corrupt and he died. And so he took Liam took in Samantha after her dad died because nobody else would. And it's way more complicated than it needs to be. But then at the end, you find out that he killed the dad with poisoned coffee. Oh, Jesus. Because he's like a hitman or assassin or whatever, you know, like Navy SEALs or assassins. Uh, well, I guess actually sometimes they are, but not usually of U.S. ambassadors. Um, so yeah, he, and then they don't usually kill people and then adopt the kidnap children. their children. Yeah, but the death looked like a heart attack or something. I don't Ugh. know. So Liam adopted her. Uh, speaking of coffee, the one of the first scenes is that uh, she is coming down to... Samantha is coming down to have breakfast and he made her tea because she won't drink coffee, which we find out was because she drank some of the poison coffee. And ever since then, she's not wanted to drink coffee. Whatever. So she's having like tea or something and she sips it like in, the, in a morning sort of like, ah, what a country. And you go to sip your, your morning hot drink and she moans with pleasure. And it's like this, it's so embarrassing. And he gets all turned on from it too. And he's not supposed, and so it's like, Okay, when people drink coffee and make a noise of approval or of pleasure, like, mmm, ah, right? Like, that's good coffee. Mm. But we're supposed to believe that she went, ah, <laughs> God, this coffee's so good. Like, oh, what, no. what noise could she have made that would have been like, oh, that was a sex noise you just made after drinking coffee. Ah. <laughs> like, what was it? But no, she she's so embarrassed I made this noise and he's so turned on then he's mad at himself. Maybe it was a, a Ron Swanson shoe shine kind of situation. Mm-hmm. No one will get that. I know, it's because that's really from the old second episode season. of Parks and Rec. Uh Hey, maybe we're not the only ones rewatching Parks and Rec in quarantine. Maybe not. Um so one of the first scenes is a blonde lady reporter coming in to uh, interview Samantha. And it's just sort of dropped that Samantha's been casually sexually harassed by music reporters in the past and as a child and everything. And just dropped like, yeah, you know, like sexual harassment and assaults. Cool. Moving on. Totally a normal thing that happens. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. But the blonde lady... Is, is not going to sexually assault or harass her. Well, that's good. That is good, but she's going to come on to uh, Liam. Kimberly, the person, reporter. reporter, appears beside me. This is Liam talking. The perspective shifts. It's in first person present, and the first person shifts. Oh. Don't, if you're going to do first person, there's only one. Like, that's the point, is you live in one person's head, whatever. Kimberly appears beside me, the sunlight bright on her pale skin. This is the kind of woman I should take to bed. The kind of woman that should make my cock hard. It's Uh, wrong. It's so fucking wrong that all I can think about is Samantha's moan after drinking coffee. He's talking about his 17-year-old daughter, more or less. Now, I understand the concept of forbidden fruit, and it's the the thing that you can't have, and so that's what makes it sexy. But now it's your your child that you are responsible for. Yeah, uh, later, that's when I decide to do it. I need to fuck this woman if only to prove that I can. If only to prove that that Samantha is safe from my baser desires. I've always known I'm a fucked up son of a bitch. That's why I picked a profession that could get me killed any minute. Someone has to do the job. Might as well be me. Isn't it reassuring that people who recognize themselves to be, and like, are self-professed fucked up, gravitate towards the military? 
Bye. So, someone has to do the job. Might as well be me. Then Samantha changed everything. For the first time, I actually wanted to stay alive. Where are we going with, like, yeah. weren't you going to have sex with that lady? He doesn't. But he wants to, he wants to have sex with his ward. And then, Does he? Yeah. Okay. Um, then there's this whole subplot, and it's just, it. this subplot is even worse than Midnight Sins's. Really? Yeah. Um, so there's a coach at the high school that's a Catholic school, but it's treated like it's just public school, like that the Samantha's going to instead of some music academy or whatever to socialize her. And so there's a new coach who is coaching Samantha's friend, Cody. And Samantha also has this other friend, Lainey, whose mom is on the red team, like part of the mercenary squad that Liam runs or whatever. And so there's this new coach and he's been like giving massages if you're hurt or like been a little bit too willing to help you stretch and everything. It's like creepy coaches. Yay. Yeah. Everyone in this book is a bad person. Hooray. We get to whatever. So the plan is that Lainey and Samantha are going to get dressed up. The 17 year olds get dressed up, go to a club with fake IDs. Apparently, I don't know. Flash one, flash hundreds of dollars to get into the VIP room. Then go buy pictures and incriminating evidence. It changes from pictures to a video. Buy incriminating evidence from the club owner so that they can get the coach fired. And there's like a surreptitious meeting in the, the office. What the hell? What the fuck? How does this make any sense? At, like, And so then she goes to the club and loses herself in the dancing. And she, she doesn't really know... She's never been out. It's Anastasia Steele or whatever the hell from Fifty Shades of Grey. Like, oh, butt plug? What is that? It's, it's a plug that goes up her butt. Like, figure it out. And so she, like, goes to the club and she's like, well, I didn't know this music, but I knew music. And so she's a really good dancer and the club owner notices her and he's the one they're supposed to be buying okay, from. Okay, being a musician does not automatically mean that you are a good dancer. Those two things are very different. As you prove. No, I'm just kidding. You're a good dancer. I'm just Josh. Rude. Um, so they go back. She goes back into the club owner's office by herself where he proceeds to paw at her and, and of course. insinuate. Gross. Yes. But luckily, oh, I forgot the, the worst part about this book is the, that nothing in this book makes any sense timing. We don't find how many days are going between these things. Sometimes I thought we had like time skipped a week or something only for it to turn out as the same day. Oh, weird. Like everyone's emotions. Yeah. Whatever. So, the same day that they're going to this club, Liam's employee is having a bachelor party in one of the stages of the bachelor parties that they all go up in a plane, and they're going to parachute out of the plane. You know, your typical bachelor party? Well, they're all like mercenaries, so they're adrenaline-filled, and they get in fights. But anyway, so they're going to parachute down out of a plane into the desert where there's a $1 bill hidden underneath a rock, and then a bunch of barely street-legal cars, which I'm like, what the hell does that even mean? Uh, waiting for them to take them to go drinking. And I'm like, if you just parachuted and then walked around a desert, you're going to be sweaty and, like, disheveled. You're not going to yeah. want to go out. Like, I get that this is manly or whatever, but you're going to want to shower or cha- whatever. It's fucking stupid. I don't need to spend time with it. So while he's in the plane, he gets a notice that, like, someone has left the house and it's this pickup, and so he just knows where that she's going someplace and, and everything like that. She's going into Austin, Texas. So while he's in the plane, still like basically on the way up, gets the notice, decides he's going to skip the bachelor party, 
parachutes parachutes out, lands on the ground, walks wherever, however long. I don't know if he just like parachuted right to the car or whatever. <laughs> parachutes down to the car, gets in the car, drives from the fucking desert into Austin, Texas. Okay. And right to the club where she's at for reasons How does we don't he know. know. I don't know. Uh, all in the span of time it takes for them to arrive at the club and go to the back room. And then he's just like, he just appears and they're like, did you hurt the bouncer? He's like, only a little. He got my way. And then nothing, the club owner is just gone and no one comes to say like, what the fuck? Get out. Yeah. And so later in the book, um, they're meeting, they're trying to meet with the guy with the evidence again to buy it from him. And Lainey steals the key card from the teacher to get out of the school. Like, what is this? Is this a school or are like they, a base? Are they locked in yeah. all day? Like, that's kind of weird. And then as they're on their way to meet with this guy with the evidence, the principal is waiting for them. And I'm like, how did he, how did the principal know? Yeah. And was waiting there. And so she gets in trouble for stealing the key card uh, and sneaking out of class. And then Liam grounds her. So he... Oh, they kissed in the office while she was still oh. 17. I forgot to mention that. And so he... he they like actively want to sleep together. They have kissed, and then he grounds her. Yeah, and then comes later to tuck her in. What the fuck? And That's then, so gross. And then says something about uh, a chaste kiss on the forehead. I'm like, you can't really. Also, who gets tucked in at age seventeen? Yeah. Oh, I can't. I can't forget. Um, before they went to the club, she was so turned on by him in general that she masturbated by humping a pillow. Uh, and to just thoughts of him just sort of like being around and then mm. in classic teen movie format, uh, was whispering his name and everything. And he's just like in the doorway and it was like, just watching her. No, he like walked in as she was on the precipice, real vinegar stroke stuff. And oh, so he's gross. there to watch her climax and it's the hottest, sexiest, most erotic things I've seen. And it's fucking gross. Um, that is messed up. Later, she watches him jerk off in the shower. I'm sorry I got you this book. Um. Oh, yeah. They're in the back room and everything. And then so of the club. And they take that time to just have like confession time and tell each other how they feel and stuff. Um. Oh, yeah. The principal uh, who found her leaving class uh, brings her to the office, calls. He, Liam comes. And, uh. The principal is just, like, laying down, like, what the fuck? Like, I know that every profession thinks that, you know, fiction gets their profession wrong or whatever like that. But the principal seriously is like, she had a lot of money. She's obviously going to go buy drugs. And if a principal said that, a parent would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? You can't just throw around accusations like, she's going to use this money to buy drugs. And what kind of drugs are high schoolers buying that they need hundreds of dollars for? Yeah. It's like 25, maybe 50 bucks that a high schooler would ever drop because that's a lot of money to a high schooler. Does no one, like, does anyone at the school ever raise concerns about the weird 32-year-old that she's living with? Oh, no, not that one. Uh, It's dropped in a, like, a paragraph or two near the end of the book that... Liam just basically goes to the club owner and, like, twists his arm for the evidence and presents it and bribes the school to fire the coach, I guess. I don't know. Um, so then it skips ahead and there's a wedding or whatever, but... Wait, who's wedding? 
just some guy. There's no reason oh, for it. Oh, it's not their wedding. It's the guy who had the bachelor party. No, it's not Oh, okay, okay. So then it's her 17th birthday, or it's her about to be her 18th birthday, and she buys this sexy concert dress for this tour she's going on. Yeah, because everyone knows that when you go to watch a classical musician, they typically wear club clothes. Well, it's like a, you know, it's black and it has a cut so that she can have free reign of her shoulder, but there's this really long slit up the leg or something like that. Okay. And everyone knows that when you go on concert, you have to to present your own clothes. (laughs) There's no wardrobe on a tour. Nope. Whatever. Uh, Anyway, so she's practicing at like... 11.55 11.55 in the music room that is sp- spoken to be a ballroom-sized room with a chair in the middle. Like, in his house? Ballroom? <laughs> How big is his what house? Is clue? So then his office is off of the ballroom. <laughs> Makes total sense. Yeah, yep. like a band teacher's office, I guess. But uh, while it's like 11.55 and she's playing, she's about to turn 18. So he goes out there and he's like, oh, how's it going? And then... As it's counting down the seconds, his internal clock is impeccable, so he knows exactly what time it is. And as it's counting down the seconds until midnight, when she's 18... Which magically makes it okay and not creepy. He's explaining all of the things he wants to do to her and all that stuff. And she's, like, basically coming just from it. And then he makes her play a uh, song as she's playing the violin, and he finger bangs her. Uh, this is 70% of the way through the book. Given Ew. my experience with Midnight Sins, I was like, is there going to be a 30% rest of the book or is the rest of the book just them fucking in this music room? And I don't know, well, the fucking would have been worse, but the fact that there is 30% more book was not exactly better. Yeah. They never, oh yes, they do end up having sex because she started sleeping in his bed ahead of being 18, whatever. And at some, oh I can't keep track of all this shit. She's going somewhere. I can't remember where she's going. And an assassin comes to kill her. Why? Who wants to kill a 17-year-old violinist? Uh, Because her dad, the ambassador, was corrupt. And she might have heard something over the phone while she was playing under his desk or something. And so they need to shut her up. And I'm like, then why did you wait this whole time? Five years whatever and so she gets like run off the road but turns out liam was following her and so he why was he following her keep her safe uh and so then he kicks the other car off the road and just shoots the dude in the forehead and is like oh i guess i should have asked him questions uh and then he just like takes her away from this active crime scene and also leaves and then takes her to the shower and just cleans her this is a thing that has popped up in multiple books. It is. It's weird. There there have been several bibliophile books where there ha- like there have been weird yeah. older men cleaning younger women. And so he's just like washing her and like just everywhere is just like, oh yeah, I rubbed her down on her boobies and her stomach and even in between her butt cheeks. And it's like spoken to be relatively non-sexual. Like he's I was just cleaning her. But I'm like, that's not not fucking weird. Yeah, that's not really a thing that people do. And so then he sleeps in her bed as opposed to her sleeping in his bed. And she like paws at him in the night and he thinks he's dreaming. And so they end up having sex. And so as, this is after the 18 thing as if that matters. And so then during their first go round, he breaks her hymen. 
because all women have those still as long as they're not as long as they're virgins. Good virginity is real too. That's yeah. also a real thing. And so he is just too big. She can't handle it. And he's just like, "No, you're going to you're going to figure it out. You're going to handle it." Oh, and just gross. like Rose keeps going. And she's like, "No, this like kind of really hurts." He's like, "Yeah, but it hurts so good." And I seem to remember reading it and being like, no, it seems like it actually really fucking hurts. And also, if she is telling him to stop and he's not, he's raping her. Yeah, and she is, like, crying. Yeah, he's raping her. Uh, and then he finishes inside her without a condom. After on. raping her. Yeah, and then she's like, oh, okay, well, we, you know, finished that, we did that. And he's like, no, I'm, we're going again. He doesn't even, like, withdraw. He just is immediately ready to go. <sighs> And then the third time. And so... Ow! Ow, indeed. Um, ugh. Ugh, indeed. Um, That's messed up. It's very messed up. So the entire book is gross. And then he is like, I'm too fucked up to love you. You're, you're trying to love me, but I'm too fucked up. And this brings me to several of my overarching points, because that's the plot. He later lets her go on the concert and will not be following her because he's too fucked up. Uh... I'm not, like, this might be getting too personal, but I'm not particularly into the BDSM scene mm. or in a in a sort of, like, dominating, submissive sort of relationship. Uh, is never a thing that I've been interested in pursuing, but now I've had to read multiple books about that sort of thing. Do you think that the BDSM community, especially those who prefer to be in a dominating position are mad at fiction for always attributing their domination to some sort of childhood trauma. Yeah. So I have actually, like, not sought out articles about this, but, like, I, there are feminist writers that I follow on Twitter that have talked about this kind of thing, where, like, people who are actually into that community especially hate Fifty Shades of Grey because it portrays all of this in a terrible light when, like, people who actually are, like, part of that community and practice that kind of thing, it's very based on consent. Oh, yeah. And it is never portrayed that way in fiction. Oh, no. Never. Uh, So he got just ritualistically abused as a kid, of course. Uh, His dad had what reads like schizophrenia and, like, sometimes is very nice, but other times think that Liam has the devil inside of him and needs to... Throws him down wells and locks him in closets. Jesus. Yeah, and so that's why he's a fucked up son of a bitch and can never love. And that's why he's he's sexually dominant. It's like, come on, bud. Wow, this book was awful. I'm sorry. it It was really gross. The... This book, I think, might have been written by a 16-year-old. Oh. And I have several pieces of evidence for that. Number one, the sex just isn't how it works. Uh, number two, Liam's eyes change color no less than ten times. What colors do they change to? Uh, mostly emerald is how it's portrayed, but sometimes there's flecks of gold. Sometimes they darken. Sometimes they lighten. Oh. And I, I know that that might be an allegorical way of, like, his brow furring, his, his yeah. darkening. But no, it's spoken like it's the colors. Sometimes they're moss. Sometimes they are olive, a haunting color. Uh Uh, And moss and olive are not, and emerald, are not the same color. No. They're very vastly different. They They are all technically green. His eyes don't just like, they aren't described in 10 different ways. They are specifically mentioned to be changing to a color. 10 times. 
I also have some things to say about eye color in my book. Ooh, last but not least reason that I think this is written by a six... Well, second to last is that it sucks ass. The last reason that I think it was written by a 16-year-old is the amount of importance that is put on graduating... Mm. and the and like i'm becoming an adult on my 18th birthday yeah and and once you've passed that milestone you're like that was not that big of a deal (laughs) nothing has changed Uh, in my life she was given her diploma like a sheepskin with a ribbon on it at her graduation it's like that's not how that works i got handed an empty folder and then they mailed my diploma that's how it works for everybody (laughs) to make sure you don't fuck up at the graduation thing or else they'll withhold your diploma it's a hostage situation yeah and so it's like oh i can't i everything is changing so fast about my life and i'm maturing and i'm really becoming and so i'm like when you're 19 you're like i feel no different yeah i am more socially acceptable to drink and have promiscuous sex, and I, for many people, live away from my parents. But other than that, I feel like the same person. And this isn't like, uh, kids are idiots, and you're not smart unless you're my exact age. Uh, this is like, a, you just don't know what high school, gra- I didn't know what high school graduation was going to be like. I no. thought it was going to be this big, huge deal. And I feel bad, because there's no high schools graduating this yeah. year. But uh, uh, it's like high school graduation isn't that big of a deal afterwards. Yes. Yeah. And so that's my reason. I think it was either written by a non-American who didn't go to like American high school uh-huh. and has only ever seen American movies or someone who, who has not, not graduated high school yet. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So fuck this book. It's the part, first part of a trilogy. Oh God. So if we ever do that thing, we have to do sequels again. I'm not going to make you do that. I'm, I'm like, honestly, sorry. I thought it was going to be like funny, bad, but no, it was just gross. I'm surprised gross. I finished I'm it. I'm sorry, bud. Yeah. Well, would you like to move oh, on? Yeah, one last point. I'm okay. sorry. And then I'd be happy to. For exercise, Liam is always described as being. He's not really described physically. No one's really described physically. Other than his other multicolored, than his eyes. multicolored eyes. And Kimberly, the reporter, is described in more specific detail than Samantha, the main character. But Liam's about six foot ish high and filled with lean muscle. Okay, lean okay. muscle. Yeah. And he is described as not fitting in multiple like types of chairs. He's just too big for him. That's, that's not, not lean that's muscle. That's not lean muscle. Yeah. And for exercise, Liam will spend hours a day in an obstacle course. That's not going to get you like bulked up so that you can't fit in a chair. I, just, I love the idea that some guy is just running the same obstacle course for hours. Yeah. Whatever. Fuck this book. I hate it. Throw it in the fire. And then okay. poop on it. All right, so how was the extraterrestrial legal thriller? Extra legal, extraterrestrial. You have been judged a space opera adventure legal thriller by Craig Martell. I'm going to say some of those words again. Rip it, baby. A space opera adventure legal thriller. Yeah, bud. Why did you get me a book with so many adjectives? Uh, if you're listening to this, just press the 15 seconds rewind button. That's why. Fair. Um, when Mick sent me the the link to this book on Amazon, I got really scared because one of the first things in the Amazon description says, no previous books need to be read. Just lock in your seatbelt, 
Grab your favorite drink and be ready for your socks to be blown off. This was not just a Kindle exclusive. This was a $0 Kindle exclusive. Yeah, the sign of a good book. Uh, another thing in the review, this was all in bold. This book contains cursing. Perhaps humorous cursing, but cursing nevertheless. If this offends you, perhaps this book isn't for you. Ooh, so edgy. I have a lot of things to say about the cursing. We'll save that for the end. Oh, so the book wasn't for you then. Prude. The preface. This is the second time in three days you have called me a prude. <laughs> I also called the main character of this sex book a prude because she was 17 and didn't really understand how sex worked. Gross. It's like, watch some porn. Um, The preface of this book, I'm going to read the whole thing to you. It's not very long. In the Etheric Federation, the terms barrister and lawyer are synonymous. <laughs> barrister and lawyer are both in title case. Judges, title case, preside over trials, title case. Magistrates, ah! title case, are barristers slash lawyers, not title case, who also judge and mete out punishment. They are, title case, judge, jury, and executioner. This sounds overly complicated for a legal system. The phrase judge, jury, and executioner is used 22 times <laughs> in this book. Which took you a day to read, so it's not like, it's yeah. not Game of Thrones where it might just be on accident. No, no this came up I literally read this in less than 24 hours. I sat down on the couch for like a little bit to read while drinking my coffee, and after not very long... I had, I was already a quarter of the way through it. So I'm going to read you some of the first words of the actual book, like past the preface. Um, and just so you can get an idea of what the dialogue is like in this book. This is like chapter one, page one. I hear that an all guns blazing franchise has just opened on Onyx Station, Cheramati said. Your appointment with Rivka is in 10 minutes, so you had best be on your way. Nathan Lowell, president of the bad company, stood to shake their hands. Ooh. How much money did you lose? Terry Henry Walton asked. D those, Who's talking to those who? Those three sentences don't relate or have anything to do with each other. Also, like, was, I do not understand. Was instead of said, they used shaking hands? Yeah. Um. Oof. Oh, my Kindle's freezing. Hang on. Mine did too. It's going around these days. It's going around these days. Uh, this is page 10. So this is our introduction to our main character, who, whose name is Rivka. A drunk patron pounded on the bar, demanding service. The bartender waved him off, refusing to serve him. The drunk man slid close to Rivka. What you got there, he asked as he pushed Rivka and reached a dirty hand toward the pile of papers. Rivka caught him by the wrist. Don't touch the contract, she told him, her voice low and steady. Don't touch me, he replied and grabbed for her. She let go, caught an ear in each hand, and pulled his head downward. She drove her leg upward. His face met her knee, and that was the end of the confrontation. Assault, battery, and interference in a confidential attorney-client conversation. He moaned and held his face. She kicked him in the ribs. Justice is served. Holy crap, Terry looked at her with newfound respect. You can do that? Judge, jury, and executioner? <laughs> she looked at the man rolling around on the floor. No one was executed, but yes, I can. We are authorized to mete out justice when the cases Tyler are case clear justice, cut like this one. Yes, there's video. He's guilty. So fuck that guy. So this is Judge Dredd, but not satirical. 
I'm yeah. looking at. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're set in space. Space. Um, in the epo or in the prologue, we're introduced to Rivka as an intern before she becomes a lawyer. So that scene was when she was helping a bunch of guys sign the paperwork to franchise a bar called All Guns Blazing. None of that is ever referenced again. Good. Like none of those people, the bar, any of it. It's just so we can see her as an intern. Which doesn't matter because then we jump straight ahead to her as a full-fledged lawyer on a case. So she's a paralegal that's creating paraplegics. <laughs> I also want to point out that if you were to do the move described in that book, you would not be grabbing somebody by the ears. Imagine how difficult it is to actually get to a hold. hold on yeah, someone's to... ear. Because when you grab someone's ear, like I'm all grabbing on your ear yeah. right now, I have them pinched between my index yeah. finger and my thumb. So it's, it's not giving me a lot of room to pull. Not to mention that they're difficult to grasp, like reaching for someone's head and they move it even a little bit, you would miss the head. You'd grab them by the back of the head. Yeah. Duh. So after that prologue, we jump into the actual beginning of the story she passed I think. the space bar she did pass the space bar um she is uh she's in a trial she's prosecuting a murder trial and this is how the judge the high chancellor is described is he also the jury and executioner no he's just the judge oh. um the high chancellor was supposedly an ancient creature steeped in years of courtroom battle is he an alien Backroom whispers claimed he had been handpicked by the former empress herself for biological enhancement. His body programmed with nanocytes that gave him many of the same physical and mental capabilities vampires of old had enjoyed. That's the only time we reference vampires. We also <laughs> reference werewolves one time. So I don't know if we reference them as like mythical creatures or as things that actually exist in this Star Trek universe. Or is this author chomping at our unfinished Bibliovile book bit where there are vampires and werewolves in, in space. space? Also, they reference the Empress. Like Dune? So... What kind of name would you expect the empress of this space civilization to The first have? thing that popped into mind is Helvetica, which is a font, but I'm sticking with it. Helvetica. Yeah, something spacey. gothic or spacey or yeah. fantasy-sounding. The empress's name is Bethany Ann. Aww. <laughs> I knit you a scarf. Empress Bethany Ann. Bethany Ann the first? Probably. I don't know. I can't imagine any other empresses named Bethany. Bethany Ann. So, well, maybe this is like a situation where like Walton is like an old guy's name to us yeah. now. So maybe Bethany Ann in the, the thousands of years that this book takes place later has become like this regal sounding <laughs> yeah. name. Empress Bethany Ann. So in this case that she's prosecuting Title to case. the high ch chancellor, um, the guy, the the uh, perpetrator is acquitted, even defendant. though the defendant, he is acquitted, even though Rivka knows he's guilty. She knows he's guilty because she can see people's feelings if she touches them. So if she like reaches out and touches your arm, she can see your feelings. What do they look like? He gets off. And so that, she, I would too. Um, she gets drunk and goes and murders him. Just like that? Judge, jury, and executioner? Judge, jury, and executioner. So then she gets picked up by a guy named Granger, who she thinks is a cop. She thinks that she's going to be sent to Jordan, the prison planet, but instead she's offered a job as a magistrate, 
which is an elite group who solve problems with both the law and with vigilante justice. Which is not the law when you think about it. No, but they use both of those things. So basically they try to use the law if they can, but if they can't, they they just kill people. Yeah, uh uh-huh, exactly. So getting drunk and murdering a person is a cost for a promotion. Correct. The Better Call Saul got weird. <laughs> I don't remember this in JAG. So they take her to this training session to become a magistrate. And part of her training is that she goes into something called a pod dock, which is going to basically enhance her body and give her special powers. Paddock. She has to <laughs> run around in a circle. Now, is this like space law school? Was her space professor like, look no, to your left. She already went to space law school. This is like space boot camp. Oh, did she have to read space contracts in her first year at space law school? Probably. That's a contract law as you're like your first class in law school. <laughs> Rivka undressed and climbed into the device. The case closed and the AI started to work its magic. It sampled her DNA and started to program the nanocytes to make Rivka's body stronger and heal itself faster. Help her do all the things she could do already, but orders of magnitude better. Did she want to be taller? The technician asked. Sure, plus her up a little, Granger replied. Anything else? I've got it from here. It'll take a few hours to grow her bones and add muscle mass without too much pain and anguish. So they just, like, put her in this thing and she becomes a superhuman. Um, They also change her eyes. Not only do they change her eyes to make it so that she she has, like, perfect night vision, but uh, they also change her eye color. Her eyes are now... Golden blue hazel. What? <laughs> Rivka's golden blue hazel eyes. What? Those are three different things. Golden hazel, I can understand. Blue just... Is blue. It's just a different color. Also, can something be golden blue? No, that's a below's uniform. <laughs> Listen, I really got to get this joke out. When she okay. went to space law school, did she t- have to take the LEM sats? <laughs> the LEM was the lunar m- module that landed on the moon. That's a good joke. Mate. Thank you. After a month of training, she gets sent on her first mission. So Wow, <clears throat> that's not a lot of training. She's this artificially enhanced vigilante murder machine. And she gets sent on her first mission, which is to calm a domestic squabble on a different planet. She winds up basically kidnapping the daughter who was involved in the dispute and bringing her along to join her team on her spaceship. Okay. So, I assume faster than light travel is is a thing. We it's... don't talk about that. They just get in the spaceship and then they get there. So, you're telling me that somebody called in a domestic disturbance. They got into a spaceship. Then later, they got out of that spaceship at a different planet. And the domestic disturbance was still going on. Yep. Notoriously long-lasting, the domestic disturbance is. It's a, it's a long-lasting crime. Yeah. That cops can just take their time to go respond to. Her second assignment is to negotiate a peace treaty. Does she take one of the daughters of the ambassador as a hostage? Um, no. But the aliens are nine feet tall and their planets are really hot. So her bodyguard, whose name is Red, keeps passing out. Um... We spend probably 25% of the book just her trying to negotiate a treaty between these two planets, and it's super fucking boring. Just, that like, insanely boring. boring. What is she, and George Clemenceau? We spice it up a little bit, because 
the two planets blow each other or try to blow each other up. She uncovers a conspiracy, solves the mystery, gets them to sign the peace treaty, which includes the phrase, you must be good to one another. That's like the highlight of her peace treaty and is supposed to show that she's a really good magistrate because they agreed to that. Now, I'm pretty sure that the dude who wrote this is like a John Grisham. He was a lawyer and started writing books instead. That's the worst piece of legal writing I've ever yeah, heard. He, nothing that vague holds up. Yeah. Like, what, is somebody going to write a will that's like, just give my stuff to whoever needs it? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's treated as a huge win, though. She goes back to celebrate with the other magistrates over a beer, and that's the end of the book. Um, at the... The very end of the book is a little note from the author begging for online reviews so that he knows whether or not to make more of these books. Oh. Yeah. I, um... Now I feel really bad. Would have recommended against it, but apparently others disagreed because there are more. He made more. This is a trilogy. There are more of these. Um, it's too bad that he didn't think ahead and name his trilogy of books Judge, Jury, Jury and, and Executioner. Judy. Oh. <laughs> I was going to say Judy. But there's one more thing that I want to talk about. Okay. The swearing. <gasps> oh, yeah. I don't know if I can take it. I might be offended. Do you remember a book that I read what feels like a million years ago? I can't remember what it was called, but it was, there were werewolves. That book had a bunch of really stupid swear words. Like, she, she didn't want to swear, and so she would just make up swear phrases. Um, like, well, you're a rinky-dink bink-bonk or something stupid like that. Um, and it was absolutely infuriating. This book does a very similar thing. Except tries to be badass about it. Like, the whole point of that book was that she was too cutesy and proper to actually swear. This one, I think the author thinks he's making his character a badass by mm. swearing. Is it, like, the Twitter disease where it's like, listen, you shit-gibbon fuckwaffle. And it's like, just call him an asshole. You sound like an idiot. By all that's holy in this bald monkey-ass world, don't make me sign any more papers. Yeah, that's dumb. Holy crotch goblins. You look like an inmate. You wow. are such a body fuckwit fondler. You are a total cross-eyed glory hole whale wiper. This one is my fa my favorite, and by that I mean least favorite. I don't give an upside down flying goat fucking nut roll whether this tin can has a name in reference to her spaceship. And then finally... He sounded like a weasel. I could probably slap the snot out of him until he was begging for breast milk. What? <laughs> I have no idea. So this is exactly like, you know, that I don't know what specific kind of brain disorder we would call this on Twitter when somebody tries far too hard to swear. But it uh, was so ridiculous and just really annoying. And it is just like that was the the swearing that we were the accidental werewolf by Dakota Cassidy. Found it. I didn't um, even have to splice it in. I just had to delete a bunch. <laughs> so um, that was the swearing that we were warned about that Amazon wanted to make sure we no, knew. He wanted to. Amazon didn't. Just in case we were going to be offended. Jeff by Bezos. Being called a glory hole whale wiper. It doesn't even make Stupid. sense. It doesn't, it doesn't even track. Even make sense. 
So this book was written very badly and I don't want to read any more of them, but at least it wasn't as horrifying as yours. Yeah. Do you want to see what I'm getting you next next oh, time? No. I've already decided because no, I made I made your sister. No. No. Uh, no. Help me pick them out. So I gave her a couple Michelle. options. Michelle. Uh, so I found them all. It's not her fault. Don't blame her. Oh no. Um. So she helped me look, and I'm getting you one that is, uh, very. It can be described alliteratively. All right. Crimson oh, Run. No. Crimson, Crimson with, with a, a K. K. A Galactic Race for Justice. Crimson Empire, book one. Oh, no. The Federation will make you pay for your crimes, even this the fake This is the ones. same thing. There's a Federation. There's Was justice. Was yours written by Craig Martell? Yes. Yeah, Craig Martell is a, 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 no, a prolific writer, apparently. No, he ghost writes a lot. it's another one. Uh, Tony, a spy from a... <laughs> Tony, a spy from a rival star system who is the scion of a galactic crime family. Quinn, falsely accused former military, of course, betrayed by her husband, troop mom, uh, <laughs> a conspiracy that intertwines their lives. Where did the government go wrong? They should have let her run away. Instead, they made her fight. Now, Quinn and Tony will make the Federation wish it had taken the easy option. Quinn's escape starts today. Tomorrow will have to take care of itself. And Michelle and I have... Uh, fallen into calling this or your book we called barrister dread uh <laughs> and then we call the crimson run we call it mad mob mom so mad mob mom is uh up for you next week uh and, or next time two weeks from now ish so i look forward to hearing about crimson run i'm so sad i look forward to hearing what gross statutory rape book you get me this time i promise i won't get you a statutory rape book thank you wait do i have to have some sort of contract <laughs> signed in space by the judge jury and executioner more like sex executioner anyway that's gonna do it for this week's bibliophile thank you for checking in uh i have been will be uh and am i suppose mick dickinson you can find me on twitter at dickima d-i-c-k-i-m-a-a you can find the the podcast at bibliophile b-i-b-l-i-o-v-i-l-e i have to close my eyes every time i do that you can find me on twitter at susan j that's s with three u's s-a-n-j the intro music to our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. I need to show you more YouTube videos. You need to be like, hey guys, like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. Good night, Matt. I can't. I'm too sad. Good night, Matt.